The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Much gained by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, "'Do not harm yourself, for we are all here.' And the jailer called for for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers in the back by the children's church sign. And if this is your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so they can get checked in. Thanks. Good morning. My name is Mark. I'm on staff here. I really don't want to be known as the guy who gives awkward side hugs, so we're going to have to tweet that. <laughs> um, one more plug for the baptism talk tonight. Uh, if that sounds stuffy and boring, I don't think it will be. I think it will be very uh, 
laid back, and we want lots of time for questions and answers. So bring your questions, and we'd love to let everybody be heard and talk through that. And probably not all agree, and that's okay. Uh, we've been making our way through the New Testament book of Acts for a while now. And the book of Acts is basically a sequel to the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Uh, Acts picks up after Jesus sends out his disciples to go and make more disciples and teach and baptize uh, and tell the good news that by Jesus' work on the cross, he is making all things new. And that by faith in him, you can be made new and you can be in a right relationship with God. And the book of Acts has some crazy stuff in it. Uh, when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells believers, there's miracles, there's healings. Uh, there's some really beautiful things that happen. There's also some really kind of scary things that happen. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira, right? When deceit and hypocrisy was creeping its way into the church, and God put a hard stop on it. And if you are looking for a really uplifting story, you should go read that if you're not familiar with it. Uh, in our passage this morning, it is at the same time a little bizarre and incredibly encouraging. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, our passage, Acts 16, deals with Paul and Silas when they first go to Philippi. Um, so it's history, like the rest of the book of Acts, but this particular chapter is the history of the ch Philippian church. It's really neat. And maybe that sounds really boring to you, but wherever you are, whatever your thoughts are on the Bible or in Jesus or the church, uh, this passage is an antidote to the thought that well, God only goes after some types of people. Or there's just a, a certain kind of person that God is, can go after, that, that he only loves and uses certain types of folks. Uh, you know, Christianity is the only faith that transcends all cultures and races and social divides and geography. Anything else we try to, to line up as humans, we try to kind of divide and chop people up by, the gospel transcends all that. And what I want to pitch at you this morning is that because God draws all kinds of people to himself, we as the church have to function and love our community knowing that no one is outside the reach of God's grace. Like God can and does bring all types of people to faith in himself and faith in Jesus. And if we can offer, operate under that assumption, would that not be incredibly freeing for us to pursue our mission, to restore places and people through authenticity, sacrifice, and outreach? Knowing that the gospel isn't just for the people who are already kind of curious, it's not just for the people who maybe grew up in church or, you know, had a grandparent who kind of made them read the Bible or made them go to church a few times a year. Uh, but it's also for your neighbor who doesn't want anything to do with Christianity. The gospel is for your coworker who has had a horrible experience and is actively opposed to the church and Christianity. Um, so let me pray and we'll dive into this really encouraging passage. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. We thank you that you give it to us because you love us and you want us to know you and know ourselves. Uh, and so would you, would you give us clear eyes to, to see what you would have us see this morning? Help us to see you as more beautiful and believable than anything else. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for those of you who maybe you have started your own business or you've tried it at one point or another, uh, maybe you've campaigned for something you believe strongly in. Maybe you've raised money or for a friend's GoFundMe or for a cause. Or maybe just even the last time you were looking to get a job or get into that school, I'm willing to bet that you had a list of people come to mind who you thought would be really helpful in getting you where you needed to be or raising that money. And I'm also willing to bet that it was probably the wealthiest people you know in your circles, the most powerful, the most influential people you could think of. You're thinking, yeah, I need those guys to help me start this, this thing. You know, the beauty of the gospel 
And the beauty of Jesus is that Jesus intentionally starts his ministry with people who have no power and no money and they have nothing. Uh, and it seems like Paul and the other apostles are following in Jesus' footsteps here. Last week, Ben preached on the first half of Acts 16, where we met a woman named Lydia. Uh, and Lydia, just to put it bluntly, was a hustler in a really good way. Like she owned her own business and she had lots of money, which 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire was unheard of for a woman. Um, she sold expensive purple fabric. So she had money and she owned her own house, but um, she was a Roman citizen. And so she basically had no rights as a woman. I really don't know how she had her own business. It's amazing. Um, but God gives Lydia curiosity and then faith in Jesus when Paul shares the gospel with her. We read this last week, but this is verse 14. It said, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And then her home becomes the headquarters for the Philippian church. It's basically where everybody met and worshiped. So Lydia is the first conversion that Paul focuses on. Uh, the second is this poor slave girl that we read about in our passage. Look back at verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So this girl was being exploited because she had some kind of spirit of divination and she made a lot of money for her owners. She was basically the opposite of Lydia, right? Where Lydia had lots of freedom, she had some autonomy. This slave girl had zero freedom. She had no money. She had no control over any part of her life. She had no power, no influence. And to top it all off, she was possessed by a demon. And strangely, out of the three conversions we see in Acts 16, she seems to know the most about God, right? presumably because of this demon she had. But in verse 17, it says, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. The slave girl had the most knowledge about God, and yet she's the most conflicted, isn't she? Uh, and maybe that rings true with some of you. You're investigating Christianity. You're trying to read the Bible. You're reading other books. You're listening to a bunch of podcasts. You're doing deep dives in a obscure church history that like three of us at the church would love to talk to you about. Uh, and you've got all these ideas swirling around in your head. You can kind of argue for and against Christianity better than some of your Christian friends. And yet, it, it, for some reason, it just hasn't clicked into place for you yet. Um, if that's you, I want you to be encouraged by just how different these experiences are between Lydia and a slave girl. Right? Lydia comes to follow Jesus through conversation. She just, she just needed, she kind of already had the bits in her mind. She just needed someone to come and explain Christianity to her. Uh, the slave girl, she needed a powerful encounter with God. Right, she was being abused spiritually. Uh, she was being abused socially and physically. She needed someone to free her, basically, from being exploited. And once Paul and Silas free her from slavery, when she can't make any money anymore for her owners, that's when Paul and Silas are beaten up and they're thrown in jail. Uh, and this is, this is social justice at its best and purest and finest, isn't it? There's injustice. A girl has been treated like property and abused. She's freed from slavery at the expense of Paul and Silas. They get beat up and thrown in prison and because she can't make her owner's money anymore. So for us at Restoration Southside, seeing how this affects our evangelism, how we share the gospel and tell others about Jesus, sometimes that's going to mean we just sit down and have a conversation with somebody. We kind of talk them through the Bible, tell them who Jesus is. Uh, this also means that sometimes our evangelism is going to look like pursuing justice in our community. It's going to look at us spending a lot of our time and a lot of our money and a lot of our skills to help break injustice and help 
to, to do justice and love mercy. We've got to be about both as a church. Right? We've got to do ministry in the word and ministry of the deed with our actions. So those are the first two conversions that Luke highlights, Lydia and the slave girl. The third is just as unlikely, maybe even more so, uh, and it's the Philippian jailer. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this guy. And for what we know about jailers in the Roman Empire, this guy was probably ex-military. He's a retired soldier, and from what little we know about him, I think it's safe to say that he was not interested initially in sitting down and having a deep theological conversation with Paul and Silas. He does later, but not initially. And he's probably not looking to be free from his oppressive boss or owners. Right? He was a soldier, and he was really good at following orders. Look back at verse 22. So the crowd joined in attacking them, Paul and Silas, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Like good soldiers follow orders, right? This is a no-nonsense guy. Uh, and if you caught it when we read the passage, it's not until after he comes to follow Jesus that he washes their wounds and seems to actually care about these guys. Um, they came into the jail beaten, bloody, and bruised, and he just puts them right in the cell and locks their feet up in the stocks. He doesn't seem like a sentimental type, doesn't seem like the bookish type. This is a guy who values honor and just doing your job above all else. But what does he do when he finds out that the prisoners have been set free and their bonds are open and the doors are open? He pulls out a sword and he's about to fall on it because he wants to escape the uh, persecution and the sh open shame and execution he's about to endure. In the Roman Empire, if you were a prisoner or if you were a jailer and you lost a prisoner, your life is forfeit. They kill you. No questions asked. And so this Philippian jailer, he would rather end his life on his own terms than let somebody else do it and shame him in the process. Uh, look back at verse 25. This is beautiful. It's about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody's, everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So the jailer rushes in, and that's when he asks that question, what must I do to be saved? What was it that finally made things click for the jailer? He'd been hearing Paul and Silas sing the gospel all night long, so it probably wasn't just information. It probably wasn't just hearing the gospel, uh, but it was actually seeing the gospel. Right? Two things we see in our passage that God used to bring this man to faith. Uh, the first thing he sees is he, how he sees Christians suffer. This is really important. Paul and Silas have been beaten and put in jail because they rescued a girl from slavery, right? So not only have they not done anything wrong, they actually did a really good thing. And yet, as they're sitting in the jail cell, locked up, uh, and they're achy and bloody from being beaten by rods so many times, what are they doing? Are they, are they crying out about how unjust their life is or how unfair it is? Are they saying, man, we can't wait. We hope those slave owners get what's coming to them. Are they yelling out that they're Roman citizens and therefore their rights have been violated? If you're a Roman citizen, you couldn't be corporally punished. That was a big no-no. They eventually do pull that card, but it's after they're free. What are they doing? I know, I know you know the answer. Praising God. praising God. They're singing, right? They're praising God in the midst of a really crummy circumstance. Uh, their freedom has been taken away. Their dignity has been stripped. 
They probably don't have any money. And yet because they know God and they've seen the freedom that God has given, not only to them, but to the people that they've shared the gospel with, their joy is coming from their union with Jesus. Their freedom uh, and their identity that they have in Christ, that is something that cannot be taken away from them and it cannot be taken away from you if you're in Christ. Uh, next weekend, we've got an opportunity to go serve women, uh, Widow's Harvest. It's a great ministry in Chattanooga where widows are loved on by the community. Um, and I would encourage you to go. Uh, when I was teaching last year, we took a group of high schoolers to go basically serve a meal to these ladies. They have a lot of them are, usually meet for Bible studies and prayer, so they all know each other. And so we took a busload of high schoolers to go over there and kind of feed them and talk with them. And it was beautiful seeing a bunch of high school boys just kind of laughing and sharing stories with these elderly widows. Uh, but what really stuck with me was that at the end of the meal, these ladies asked if they could pray for all of us who'd come. And it was beautiful. They, it was one of the most beautiful times of prayer I've ever experienced. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that these women had lost so much. They'd all lost their husbands. Most of them had lost money or their houses or comfort or their social circles. They had every reason to be bitter and angry with God. And yet they were some of the most joyful people I've ever met in my life. They, their, their joy had nothing to do with their circumstances. It had everything to do with knowing Jesus. And I don't know if you've seen that, but it is a really powerful thing to see someone who has such joy when they have every reason to be bitter and angry. So the jailer saw, probably for the first time, joy in the midst of sorrow. And he also experienced a saving love from an enemy. A saving love from an enemy. We already mentioned this, but when the jail cells are open, he is moments away from taking his life because he knows that he's about to be executed anyway. But Paul and Silas know that too. Uh, and even though the doors are open and their chains are gone, they know that they can only be free at the expense of the jailer's life. Like if they leave, he's dead. And so not, not only do they stay in jail, they somehow convince all these other guys to stay in jail too. Can you imagine that? You're like, hey guys, I know you're free, but why don't you just stick around for a little bit? <laughs> Wait for them to come back. The jailer had never seen this before, right? They, they save his life instead of taking advantage of their freedom, giving up freedom in order to save an enemy. You don't do that as a soldier. You do what you can to survive and take out your enemy. <laughs> Having joy in the midst of sorrow, saving your enemy, how could these people do that? One of the central claims of Christianity is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. On the cross, Jesus saves his enemies by laying down his life in their place. And if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, if you follow Jesus, it's by his life, death, and resurrection that you have been given freedom. And you get freedom from death. You get freedom from the separation from God that we all deserve. And if you have freedom uh, from eternal consequences and eternal circumstances, and you've got the promise of an attorney spent in a new creation with God, y'all, that is what gives you the ability to not be completely devastated when really hard things come into your life whether it's a loved one dies or a loved one doesn't want to be with you anymore. Uh, you lose that job. You lose the ability to do what you love. You don't get into that school. You don't get this. You don't get the spouse or the family you want. Those are all really hard things. Uh, and thankfully, God never tells you just to slap a smile on your face and don't talk about it and not be sad. Those are worthy of weeping over. That's why we're having a whole lament service to weep over the brokenness that we experience and endure. But if you're in Christ, you have access to an ultimate joy, an ultimate freedom, an ultimate inheritance 
You, you are surrounded by people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You are washed clean. You stand spotless and loved and accepted before the God of the universe in Christ. And so when the jailer sees these two men who are following Jesus, who even though they were sitting in this dark cell bleeding, he sees them imitate Jesus. You know some of the last words that Jesus said on the cross as he's being crucified? He looks at the people who have put him there and he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive these enemies. The jailer saw the gospel in action and he says, I want that. What do I do? To, how can I get that? What must I do to be saved? In verse 31 is this beautiful simplicity of the gospel. Paul just says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. The invitation to be saved, to have a freedom that allows you to endure anything in this life, it is extended to anyone who would follow Jesus. That's why they tack that on there, you and your household. Um, again, we'll talk about that to more tonight. But it's not just for a certain type of person. It's not just for the head of the household. It is for everybody who follows Jesus. Look back at verse 32. I love this. It says, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The jailer believes in Jesus, and then what happens? Paul and Silas explain the gospel to him and to his family and everybody else who's in the house. And this new Christian clearly has a changed heart towards others because it's then that he takes them. He's like, oh, you guys are bleeding and you're about to die. I'm, let me wash your wounds and, and dress your wounds. And then this man who's seen the gospel in action is welcomed into the church. He's baptized. It's beautiful. He sees the gospel. He hears the gospel. He gets his family and whoever else is in his house to come hear more of it. And they all receive the sign of baptism, which for believers and their children is your entrance into the covenant community. It is how you get welcomed into the church. It's a visible, tangible uh, sign. Again, come tonight. We'll talk more about that. But does that mean that everyone in the house believed in Jesus? Maybe, uh, maybe not. But can you imagine this jailer not doing everything in his power to tell his family about Jesus? I mean, this man was dead. He was as good as dead, and yet because of the kindness of Christians, he's alive. And think of the story this man had to tell his, his children. He said that these two men didn't take their freedom at the expense of the jailer's death because they already had freedom at the expense of Jesus' death. Amen? Uh, the, the jailer was a man who was so controlled by fear that he was ready to kill himself because of his bad circumstances. And yet here we have the perfect love of Jesus casting out fear, being shown up in the church, right? Giving up one's freedom for the sake of freeing others. Uh, I'll end with this. There was a prayer that Jewish men used to pray. And this is not like an obscure prayer that we only saw once. It's like very documented prayer. Uh, and it would go like this. Every morning the men would wake up and say, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. That prayer is not in the Bible before you like rush out the doors. And I don't think God actually approved of that prayer at all. I know he didn't. Uh, but for some reason, one of those cultural things is just kind of, they just went along with. And so even Paul, as a Pharisee, would wake up every morning saying, God, thank you that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Do you want to know the types of people that God loves and goes after? Look at these conversions. The very first three conversions in Philippi were a woman, Lydia, a slave girl, and a Gentile, and the jailer. Who does God choose to plant his new church? This is the foundation of the church in Philippi. 
the gospel is for everyone. No one is outside the reach of God's grace. Whoever you are, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this good news that you give to everyone and you extend to everyone. Uh, Lord, would you keep us humble as we look at our own hearts? For those of us who follow Jesus, you have done an incredible work in drawing any of us to faith in you. That's not because uh, we were smarter or had the, the reason to figure it out. You did a miracle in our hearts. And so as we love each other and we love our community and we go out into the world to share this good news, would you give us humility to do that? Would you give us boldness knowing that you can change anyone? Uh, Lord, let us be a welcoming, humble church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To share this good news, would you give us humility to do that? Would you give us boldness knowing that you can change anyone? Uh, Lord, let us be a welcoming, humble church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.